Amen. Well, good afternoon. It is both cool and nerve-wracking to be up here with you guys. I am uh, on a 24-hour time clock here of getting to prep for this because Sam let me know yesterday afternoon that he needed somebody to be, to be on deck. And so uh, there's really only been a couple hours prep that has gone into this. But thankfully, we have a, uh, a group of pastors in a church that I think is very gracious. And um, I was able to go back and pull an old sermon. So this is not just me off the cuff. Don't worry. <laughs> that would be uh, interesting, to say the least. <laughs> but... Um, I'm super excited. One of the things that has been really cool for me as, as your pastor and as uh, I've gotten to be a part of Red Tree Church and learn and grow has been the opportunity to get up here and preach. And um, I've just been super blessed every time I've gotten to be up here. So uh, I'm excited. And thankfully for you guys, this is a, a sermon that I gave at a different church so I know some of you are like copious note takers and you probably have notes on all of my sermons. So this is a new one for you. All right, so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We are going to be talking about one of Jesus' parables today. And I think uh, it actually, it's funny, Stephen and I didn't at all get to coordinate on song selection and the message. I'm sure he picked the songs for Sam's sermon, but they just felt so perfect for what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, I'm, I'm super excited. So Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. We're going to read this passage, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll start talking about context and jump into Jesus's parable. This is Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. The Word of God says, Someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That is the word of God for us today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can sit under your teaching that we can discuss it, that we can look for you to change our hearts through your words. Holy Spirit, I ask you to be here today to speak through me, to uh, convey your message 
into our hearts and to just allow us to be changed today. We love you, God. Amen. All right, so let's look at context a little bit. We're just kind of jumping into Luke randomly here, but we're at a point in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus has been teaching and performing miracles for quite some time. He has already performed many of the most famous miracles that we know of, um, and he's already given a lot of the teachings and a lot of the things that, he, that we you know, have studied and know of uh, about Jesus. He has massive crowds following him at this point. This is one of those points in his ministry where a lot of people are all surrounding him pretty much constantly. They're following him into the wilderness to hear his teachings. They're following him around. They're experiencing his miracles. And he has also started to gather some opposition. The Pharisees, he has already encountered them, and they've clashed a couple of times. And now they are kind of continuing to send people to test Jesus and to try to find ways to trip him up. So we jump into this, para- this parable where... A, uh, a man asks Jesus to exercise his authority as a rabbi to help him out. So Jesus is gathered, he's there, all these people are gathered around him, he's teaching, and this man speaks up and asks him to help. Rabbis were basically the rock stars of the time, and especially in a culture as religiously minded as this one was, if a super well-known rabbi like Jesus were to speak into this man's situation, it would hold a lot of sway. So this guy asks Jesus to tell his brother to split the inheritance with him. Now Jesus, I'm sure, doesn't answer this guy how he wants him to. Instead, Jesus takes it and he speaks to the crowd and uses it as a teaching moment to tell a parable. But before he launches into the parable, he actually, I think, does answer the man with something that provides context for the parable. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Sure, it was not pleasant for this guy to have Jesus hear his question and immediately jump to covetousness. But that is what Jesus does. The inheritance laws of the time were very well defined. And for this man to be asking Jesus to speak into his situation like this, for him to be asking Jesus to tell his brother to split the inheritance with him, I think we can pretty safely assume that this man was a younger brother who wanted to try to get around the inheritance laws. He wanted Jesus to convince his brother to share with him. He wanted Jesus to help him get an inheritance that was, by law, not rightfully his. Now Jesus who knows everyone, sees into this man's heart, and he sees that this man's problem was covetousness. We probably all know the Ten Commandments, the bedrock of Jewish law and society, the Tenth Commandment is to not covet. So we know that for these people in this time and place and in this culture, covetousness is a big deal. God has spoken directly against it, They have laws, they have all sorts of things set up so that the people would not covet. But we know that covetousness is something that all humans deal with. We certainly deal with it, I think, in our time and place, in our culture. We probably should define the word covet so that we are all on the same page. 
The Holman Bible Dictionary defines covet as the inordinate desire to possess what belongs to another, usually tangible things. So there's a couple of important things about the definition. It's a desire to possess something. It's not just a desire to possess something, but it's a desire to possess something that belongs to someone else. And it's not just a desire to possess something that belongs to someone else, but it's an inordinate desire. So it's a desire that is excessive or greater than normal. So I think with that definition, hopefully we can all agree that this is something that we and our culture deal with as well. Really, the entire concept of marketing in our culture is meant to make us covet. We have commercials and ads and billboards and pretty much everything is based on making people see something that they don't have and that they should want, usually by showing attractive, happy people who have that thing. The marketing says, you will be happy just like me if you have this thing that I have. You'll be complete once you have this. So we see Jesus speaks directly to this want, reminding people that this is covetousness. And then he also goes a layer deeper. He speaks more into it. He doesn't just say, you shouldn't covet, but he also gives the reason why. He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus does what only the author of existence can do, and he speaks into our understanding of the concept of covetousness. This is something that I absolutely love about Jesus' ministry, is he almost never just says, don't do this or don't do that. He gives the reason why. He takes this concept of wanting something that someone else has and shows us what is at the basic heart of this inordinate need. He talks about the purpose of our existence. He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Basically, Jesus is saying, you don't need this thing or that thing because how much stuff you have isn't the point. It isn't the point of your life. Life is not a race to get to the top of the pile and have the most stuff. Which begs the question, well then what is life about? If life is not about the abundance of possessions, then what is it about? And so Jesus answers that question by giving a parable. Now, I don't know if you're super familiar about what a parable is, but let me just go through that real quick. It's a very common teaching technique of the time. The teacher would essentially make up a story. It's not a true story. It's something that they are making up at the time to tell a singular point. And that's super important for a parable. There's a singular purpose for a parable. I think it can be easy, especially when we're reading Scripture, to try to analyze every little bit of Scripture. And that's, that can be dangerous with a parable. There are uh, parts of a parable that are just there to tell a story. They're not there for you to pull some great uh, point out of. One great example of this is Jesus tells the parable of the unrighteous judge. Jesus tells the story of a, a widow who goes time and time and time again to this unrighteous judge asking for what she wants. And he compares this judge 
to God and says that uh, eventually this judge gives the woman what she wants. And then he compares that to prayer, how if we go to God time and time and time again, that that will be a beneficial result for us in prayer. And if we were to analyze that parable, it could be really easy to freak out and say, wait a minute, why is Jesus comparing God to an unrighteous judge? How can God be unrighteous? God is not unrighteous. God is not an unrighteous judge. He is the righteous judge. But the parable was told for a different purpose. So we have to be clear when we are reading a parable to try to find the purpose of the parable and not get lost in the story. So I wanted to go through that so that we can look at this parable and try to find the purpose. So let's look back at this parable that Jesus gives. He says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus tells us the story of a successful farmer. The farmer has an amazingly uh, fruitful crop. He is very successful and wealthy because of this crop. And he is faced with a problem. He needs a way to store this crop. So he says, all right, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger barns. I'll put all this in these barns so I have a place to store this amazing crop that I've been given. And to this point in the story, I think it's kind of shocking that God's first word is fool. God calls this man a fool. It certainly doesn't seem to be foolish to have God give you this amazing crop and to find a way to store it. So I think we have to continue looking to try to figure out why God calls this man a fool. The point of this story is not that it's wrong or foolish to be successful or wealthy. God himself gives this man a great crop. This man wasn't a fool because of that. He wasn't a fool because he wisely didn't let his crops just sit out and spoil. He wasn't a fool because he built bigger barns to store his crops. So why was he a fool? What was it about this man that caused God to call him a fool? I think that is the point of the parable. That's the question we need to answer to understand Jesus' overall point about what the uh, meaning of life is. If it's not about the abundance of our possessions, then what is it about? So for this man, if we can't look at what he had, because that didn't make him a fool, and we can't look at what he did, because that didn't make him a fool, I think we need to look at his motivations. Verse 19 gives us this. It says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. 
The basis of this man's statement is that he has decided to retire with this crop. He is done working. He wants to relax. He wants to eat, drink, be merry, and enjoy the fruits of his labor. Now, I am not all that old and nowhere close to retirement, hopefully, but uh, I don't think that retirement is why God is calling him a fool. I don't think that God is saying that it's wrong to want to retire. I think he is, again, going a layer deeper. Jesus does something really interesting with this story. This man starts speaking directly to his soul. And I think it's worth considering why he does that. Why does Jesus use the language of the soul in this parable? And I think he does it to connect this story back to the overall point he's making about what the meaning of life is. This man takes his wealth, and rather than just seeking to have an easy life or to provide for the desires of his body, he seeks to, des- to provide for the desires of his soul with this wealth. And that completely changes it. This guy hasn't just decided to retire. He's taken this to the point that he has decided that the purpose of his soul, the desires of his soul, will be fulfilled with this crop. He's decided that the point of his life is to relax, to eat, drink, and be merry. That's where he's decided the value of his life is. He has succeeded at whatever goals he may have had, or maybe he didn't even have them, but now he has this excess of wealth. He no longer needs to work, and he's decided that the light at the end of his tunnel is relaxation and ease. He's decided that his soul has many years left to enjoy this wealth. We see God steps into the picture in this parable, and he drops uh, an unfortunate reality on this man. Not only does the man not have the ability to know or decide how many years he has left, but he actually dies that very same night. All of his wealth does him absolutely no good. He took that wealth that he had been given. He makes it the center of, ex- of his existence, the desire of his soul, and then he dies. All of that is taken away from him, and someone else gets to benefit from that work, from that wealth. I think this begins to get to Jesus' point with the parable. We don't know how much time we have. None of us do. This man, although he might have thought that he had many years, he had no idea how much time he had. He had no idea what the aim of his time and resources and energy would actually go to. He had no idea if what he was building towards would actually be a fulfillment for him. Because all the things that he had built up and saved and prepared for himself went to someone else. This man was going to be forgotten and cast aside, and others would make use of these treasures he had built up for himself. He wasted his life. I think that seems harsh, and 
Maybe it is, but it's Jesus being harsh, so we should take it seriously. I think it's easy to uh, look at this farmer and say, yeah, what a fool. But I think we should maybe put ourselves in his shoes a little bit. The American dream is to build up enough wealth to be able to live in comfort and ease. Jesus, speaking as God in this story, calls this man a fool. He calls this man a fool for making his wealth the center of his existence, for thinking that his wealth could comfort and be the desire of his soul. When Jesus calls this man a fool, that is a a harsh rebuke but it's one that the Bible uses a lot. In Isaiah chapter 32, verse 6, it says, For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11 says, Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Psalm 14 says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Jesus calls this man a fool, building upon these people's understanding of what the the Bible, of what their scriptures have said about the difference between a fool and a wise man. A fool is someone who turns away from God, and a wise man is someone who builds his foundation on God. Jesus is giving us the answer to his original point that the abundance of possessions is not the reason for our existence. He's saying, the point of our lives here, and he gives the answer, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He says, you are a fool if you lay up treasure for yourself. Then he compares that to the person who is rich toward God, or the literal meaning of those last few words is, does not make God his treasure. So he says, you're a fool if you lay up treasure for yourself. And the wise person makes God his treasure. That changes things. That tells us that this man was a fool because something other than God was his treasure. It really doesn't matter what it was. For this man, it was wealth. For many other people, it's fill in the blank, all sorts of things. And Jesus says, the point of life is that God is our treasure. We know that every single person who has ever existed was created for a purpose. And Jesus is giving us that purpose. The Westminster Catechism opens with the question, what is the chief end of man? The answer points us back to the foundational truth It says to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is the same answer that Jesus gives, that we were created to treasure God. We were created to be in relationship with Him, to reflect His glory back to Him and enjoy the beauty and wonder of relationship with our Creator and Savior. This is the point that Jesus is making with His parable. Wealth, ease, pleasure, the desires of our heart, 
None of these are the point of our existence, and they should not be what we live for. This man was not a fool because he was wealthy. He was not a fool because he wanted to sit down. He was a fool because he decided that was the point of his life. He missed it. He missed the point of his life. He missed the reason that God gave him that wealth in the first place. In Psalm chapter 14, just after where it talks about being a fool, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. We know the gospel message. We know that in sin, Adam turned away from God and he brought corruption and death onto creation. We know that we were all born into that sin and we see scripture tells us that no one seeks after God. No one does good. No one understands and is fulfilling the purpose of their existence, which is to treasure God, to make much of him. All of us are in the same position as this rich farmer. Foolish. Seeking after various things to make the point of our existence instead of God. Each and every one of us has followed right along in Adam's steps and in this farmer's steps. However, thanks be to God, that is not the end of the story. We have an amazing Savior, Jesus Christ, and He saves us and reminds us and brings us back to our purpose and lets us have the chance to walk in that purpose. If we rest in the saving work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we can be back to our purpose to treasure God, to be in relationship with Him. We can fulfill the point of our existence. If we believe the truth of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was born a human, that he lived a perfect life, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, then we don't have to be a fool. We can fulfill the point of our life. C.S. Lewis said, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. All of these things that we seek after, all of these things that God legitimately gives to us to be used for His purposes... They are like trash when compared to the joy of fulfilling our existence, of living in the purpose that God has created us for, which is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our lives are meant to be spent on enjoying the wonders of glorifying our Creator. Our lives were not meant to be spent chasing after the things of this world. 
The things of this world are merely the byproducts of living the life that God has for us. We get to enjoy them. We get to have fun. We get to sit down and take our ease. We get to enjoy food. We get to have all of these various things. But those are not the purpose of our existence. Those are not our aim, and they should not be our treasure. You guys can go ahead and come on up, band. Um, I want us to spend some time in reflection thinking about this parable. Later on in Luke, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think this is a good question for us to each think about. Where is your treasure? Because that will tell you where your heart is. What are we using the resources of God for? Are they our purpose? Are we spending our time and our energy seeking after the things of God rather than God himself? Is Jesus the center of our life or is something else what we're chasing after? Jesus cares deeply about how we spend our time, our energy, our resources. He gives each one of us things and possessions and resources. He gives us energy and time and all of these things. And He wants us to use them for the purpose of building His kingdom, for the purpose of chasing after Him, for the purpose of telling other people about this good news. Jesus tells us this parable and he pities this man as a great fool for wasting the gift that God gave him. Church, let us not waste the things that God has given us, seeking after things that will burn up and go away. Let us spend our time and our energy and our resources chasing after a relationship that will last forever. Chasing after Jesus. Let's spend just a couple of minutes thinking about that question. Where is our treasure? And then we'll continue on in worship.